Welcome to Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics. I'm your host, Theo Wan. At Onside, we run camps and programs for youth with the purpose of integrating faith, family, and sport. The Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics podcast was launched to give a chance for Christians in the sport world to share their story of faith and sport and to encourage you to live out your faith wherever God has placed you. We would love for you to share this podcast with your family, church, and community. And if you want to learn more about Onside Athletics, you can check us out at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. This week's guest is Sarah McGrath McKinley. She's a social worker and therapist who works with people in the field of mental performance coaching and sports psychology. So I'm here with Sarah McGrath McKinley. She's a social worker, but also clinically. She works in the field of sports psychology and mental performance coaching. So this is a little bit different than some of the episodes we've had before where we've had athletes and coaches. Today we get to hear from someone who helps the athletes and coaches perform at their best. So Sarah, how are you doing today all the way from Guelph, Ontario? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about what you do. You're both an athlete as well, but you also help coach athletes. So we'll talk first about what you do with coaching athletes. What does your line of work entail in terms of sports psychology? Some people in the audience might not know anything about it. Some people might know a lot. So what is sports psychology and and what do you do specifically? Yeah, so when an athlete comes to me, I actually spend a lot of time to begin with just getting to know the person. I think that what really matters is that it's individual focused. I really get to build up a strong therapeutic relationship with the person that I'm working with and figure out what it is that is a challenge for them and also what might be beneficial for them. So sometimes it's hard just to give a blanket statement as to what I do when I work with athletes. Another piece is you mentioned that I have clinical work as well. So as a social worker, I can do therapy with people so I can do that work. And I can also go into the mental performance side. So sometimes when I'm working with athletes, we actually do both. It kind of depends on on what's coming up in that moment, right? So sometimes it might be a, a matter of anxiety that comes up associated with competition, but that anxiety might be coming up in other areas of life as well. So what I love about being in the the role that I'm in is that we can have this kind of beautiful oscillation, this back and forth of just going into whatever it is that we need to go in in order to meet that person's needs and for them to be living the life that they want to live both in and out of sport. Yeah, that's a good answer to start us off there, Sarah. And just a quick disclaimer to the audience as well. Because of the nature of Sarah's work, we won't be diving into individual stories per se. If I do ask questions, it will be sort of um, a hypothetical if an athlete is struggling with this, but it won't be a specific athlete or a specific experience that she had just to protect the confidentiality of her clients. So just a quick disclaimer with that. And so you mentioned some challenges that athletes may have. And I think for a lot of athletes, when we look at pro athletes who've come out and talked about mental health issues, right? Kevin Love has been a big example in the NBA. And we look at these athletes and we think, oh, they they must love the spotlight or, or they must be so excited about what they do. But oftentimes, some of them could struggle with things like depression or just being in the spotlight. What would you say to that in terms of the trends of that happening? Is that something that you've noticed at all? 
Yeah, I I would. And just as you said that, I instantly thought of a documentary that I watched not too long ago called The Weight of Gold. And that's, uh, it's really Michael Phelps who's at the center of that. And I really applaud him for bringing a lot of attention to kind of the dark side of what can happen in sport when the only focus is on winning. And so I will say this too, if you want to find the documentary, The Weight of Gold, it's an HBO production. It's a heavy viewing documentary. It's It starts out looking at kind of the, what we all love about sport, right? What we all love about the Olympics. But then it, it, then it starts to really look at the cost that can sometimes come along with making winning the sole focus. And so I think that that is... That's a worthwhile thing to watch, and it probably isn't for everyone, but I I think that sometimes we can get so caught up in loving the idea of seeing our athletes win, our athletes podium, and forgetting the struggles that might be behind the scenes. That's a totally fair point there, Sarah, and in your kind of professional opinion, why do you think that is? I I think part of it could be um, financial in terms of... uh, there's obviously financial incentives to win for pro sport, but also at the Olympic level as well with sponsorships and things like that. So why do you think it's not um, talked about as much? We've seen some more advances with mental health in terms of like Bell Let's Talk Day with athletes. I know with the University of Guelph, they do a great job with that and promoting that. So why do you think it's not talked about so much, but it has been getting better, right? I absolutely think it is getting better. I think more and more athletes have been been coming out and talking about it. And I think really what you're pointing to is stigma. And I think as much as we would love to say that stigma doesn't exist, I think it often still does. I think it can take extraordinary courage to seek help, right? I think it can take a lot of courage for an athlete to say to a, a coach or a parent, you know what, I'm kind of having a tough time. And I think I could benefit from talking to someone. And so I think the the more that these high level athletes or these, you know, these athletes that we all look up to say, you know what, I struggle sometimes too. And sometimes I struggle a lot. I think that that can make it easier for other people, other young athletes to really seek the support that they need. Do you think there's potentially a stigma as well related to gender uh, and specifically the sport that they are in because certain sports they might have a connotation of masculine or sort of a rah, 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 you go hard and that's it. Like, I'm not going to name specific sports, but I'm sure in the audience you can probably assume some sports I'm thinking about. Is that something that's noticeable as well and kind of a trend? I think that gender can play a factor in a lot of different ways. So I agree with you in that I think in some sports we still have this old school mentality that males would not seek help and that they just need to toughen up and tough it out. And I just think that that is so harmful. It's, it's a, a harmful culture. And I think the, the more that we can get past that, the better. I think also, just even when you said gender, I instantly thought that it's, uh, it's International Women's Day. Yeah, as we're recording, it's true. Yeah, I was actually reading and writing this morning about Catherine Switzer. And so I I don't know if you know that name, but Catherine Switzer was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon. And she actually wasn't allowed to run it because nobody thought that a woman could run a marathon. 
she ran it and they tried to pull her off the course. They tried to pull her, her bib numbers off, but she ran. And so I'm a thankful to women like Catherine who, um, challenge the status quo and prove people wrong. But I also bring attention to that because I think that gender in sport can be challenging in other ways too, right? So we can have this kind of toxic masculinity. We can have situations where it's uh, it's harder to be an individual of a particular gender in a particular sport. And along with that discussion there, Sarah, this isn't necessarily the mental performance side, but it just made me think of something I've seen YouTube videos about this as well, where if you look at female athletes and the questions that they get from reporters, it's often related to outside appearance. Whereas you would never ask a guy to like, and I've seen this on YouTube, you can check it out, like to twirl around for the audience and things like that, like in women's tennis. And so there's that factor, which can play a lot into the role of young females who are like, not only do I have to perform, I have to look a certain way while performing. Yeah. Wow. That is a big one. And I think that we could almost spend a whole podcast episode talking just about that. Even before you said the word twirl, the word twirl went into my head. You would never, ever in a million years have a male athlete get asked to twirl around in his football uniform or in his soccer uniform. But I think you're right. I think Serena Williams has spoken to that, experienced that. Lots of people in some sports and I think a lot of women have been starting to challenge that. And when I say starting, it's actually not new, but starting to say, no, I'm actually an athlete. Please just respect me for the athlete that I am and not ask me to do those things. Yeah. And to kind of summarize that, it's as we've kind of discussed here with what you do, you're, you're potentially going to see people of different genders and then also having different challenges. So that's something to think about as well, because we think, oh, male athletes can only have these challenges, but female athletes will have challenges of their own. So in terms of uh, challenges, of course, as I said earlier, we won't talk about specific cases, but let's say um, you have someone listening who also struggles with performance in competition specifically, maybe at practice, they can do really well and they're lighting it up. They're lighting the score sheet in practice. But when it comes to a competition, there's a couple fans there and things change. Why do you think that is? And then what can someone do to kind of help with that? Obviously, you can't uh, give them their own personal uh, assessment of it, but it's kind of a blanket statement there, if possible. I can kind of just explore that generally. I think that a day of competition can just bring all of these added layers of both excitement and anxiety. And sometimes that anxiety and uh, like a hint of fear and nervousness can be helpful for performance, but sometimes it can go just a little too far and actually be crippling. And so one of the things that can be really helpful is for an athlete to have the opportunity to go into that environment beforehand. And if they can't go into the environment beforehand, then it can also be helpful to do a lot of mental imagery work. Let's say that you know you're going to play your next game in a particular gym and you haven't played there before, but there's an opportunity maybe to get in that gym and to watch another game. It could be helpful to just go in and really familiarize yourself with the space. And so really take it in, look around. This is where I'm going to be. The, these are the parents off to the side. These are the people cheering. What are they doing? And then I would also ask an athlete to notice, what are you noticing as you're, you're watching all that? Are you just excited to play? Are you feeling 
this kind of overwhelming anxiety creep in? And do you feel your, your shoulders, uh, you know, up so high at your ears, because you're, you're so tense. And so then there's lots and lots of things that you can work on in advance of that. You can work on some relaxation techniques. You can work on just really being present to things within that environment that are actually calming and centering and grounding as opposed to anxiety producing. For example, maybe there's some things that seem totally unfamiliar, but what is familiar, right? Are your teammates around you? Is your coach around you? Are you wearing the same clothes that you you always wear? Are you in the uniform you've worn many times before and that's familiar and comforting? And one of the things I talk about with almost every athlete is this idea of controlling the controllables. So if you're in an outdoor sport, you can't control the weather, but you can control what you're going to wear. You can control how you're going to deal with whatever comes along. You can also say to yourself, I'm just going to expect the unexpected so that you're not going to be totally rattled if it's suddenly a huge downpour. You're not going to be thrown by that. So a lot of the work comes by just preparing and then learning what it is for you as an individual that is helpful so that you can perform at the level you want to perform at when it comes time to do so. Performance being the the big key uh, factor there, and that could, of course, cause a lot of anxiety because it's one thing to perform at practice when no one's watching and the stakes aren't as high, right? So it's a little bit different. And something I've heard before is with visualization, uh, you can maybe um, speak to this to see if it's true or not, but I've heard that if you can't visualize your body doing a certain movement, like let's say you're trying to throw a football 50 yards, but you can't actually visualize yourself doing it, that it's unlikely that you'll actually be able to do it. Is that true at all? Do you know? Do you know what? I don't have a solid answer to that, but I I can respond to it. What I do know is that let's take a baseball pitcher, high-level baseball pitcher, for example. They can only throw so many times, right? They can't throw all day, every day, or they won't be able to pitch when it matters. So they spend a lot of time visualizing. And what we do know is that the same areas of the brain that would light up when you're actually throwing light up when you visualize throwing. Wow. So in essence, you're actually doing some pretty solid practice with that. And it has to be sort of purposeful visualization though, right? Do you have to be like sitting somewhere quiet, like music, or or what does that look like? I would encourage people to do it without music because I I would say you kind of want to practice like you compete. So you're if you don't have music going when you're competing, I wouldn't have music going when you practice. Okay. And you would just like be sitting in your room, kind of just sitting in your bedroom and just visualizing, uh, even just walking to the mound, getting the ball from the catcher and really just going through that same motion, right? Over and over. Absolutely. And I would say in that kind of scenario, try and access all your senses too. What do you hear when you, when you walk out? What do you smell, right? Like if it's baseball, there's a smell of a glove that can instantly take you into that space. And then I would also say when someone is practicing that, even it can be an opportunity to notice some of those more difficult emotions that come up and then starting to learn what to do to bring yourself 
down from an intense emotion so that then you can actually perform and really throw as you want to, if we're talking about pitching. Those are good points there, Sarah. And one of the things I want to ask, we're going to shift this kind of uh, some maybe advice, if, if possible, if you're able to give that to some parents who are listening, who have kids in athletics, be it high level or even house league. Let's say their child has a bad game. You know, uh, they get scored on a lot as a goalie or, uh, you know, they didn't score a goal when they were hoping to. How can they encourage them by also looking at their whole self and not just their performance as we had previously discussed with really high-level athletes? What can they do to really help their child grow emotionally, physically, and all those different things with sport? That can be a challenge. And I think it's also really important for parents and important for the athlete to have supportive parents, if at all possible. I think that it can be really helpful to look back at a game that maybe didn't go so well and actually think what did go well enough? What's something that you were proud of? So maybe it's that you were able to connect with the ball in in a way that you were really, it felt really good. It felt really powerful. Maybe your coach said something really encouraging. I think sometimes if a game doesn't go well, we can fixate so quickly on all the things, right? All the things that we just wish we could change. So you can look back at the game and, and say, so, so what went well? And what do I want to work on? But I would say, if at all possible, if parents could help steer their kids away from this idea that they are somehow flawed or they have failed, right? We can all do better. But I'll tell you that a lot of us don't get a lot better when we beat ourselves up. You would say most people don't succeed from constant negative self-talk, right? Because that's probably not helpful to say, oh, I suck at this. Like, why can't I do better? That's probably not the most helpful in terms of getting better, right? Right. I absolutely agree with you. In fact, so you're, <laughs> you're actually a beautiful little segue, actually, into other work that I do with athletes where we explore kind of an event and the emotions that come up, and then all the thoughts that came up as well. And if we're all really honest, we can all be really mean to ourselves at various times. And they usually aren't helpful thoughts, but sometimes we can switch them just enough that they're more realistic, realistic, sorry, balanced, and actually helpful. So that was a good point there about uh, parents. And now I'm, I'm kind of thinking about for athletes listening, high school athletes or, or potentially elite athletes or, or even house league athletes, we all in different ways value performance, but we often don't think about the mental aspect, the emotional aspect. So Sarah, because you have a wealth of knowledge, I'm going to ask if you could share some books or videos or any resources, and I'll make sure to plug that in the show description for people to check out to get started on their journey into thinking about how their mental performance, how their mental health can affect how they perform on the field, on the court. Yeah. Okay. Well, if I just start with more of a mental performance side, I'd love to read. And there's a few books that I can suggest that people might really love. There's one called The Mindful Athlete. I am blanking on the author's name right now, but he is a really interesting guy. He actually worked with uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, the Chicago Bulls. And so his whole approach is really being mindful and, and present and kind of in this state of flow whenever you're both training and competing. 
That's a great read. There's another book that I just read recently called Rebound. And uh, I'm just going to glance off at it. It's actually, it's, so it's Rebound, Train Your Mind to Bounce Back Stronger from Sports Injuries. That's something that we haven't talked about yet. But let me tell you, that is a huge area that can be really, really challenging for athletes who are so determined to be competing and being their best and being kind of sidelined or having a bit of a setback after an injury. So that's a great book. Another one that I like that isn't directly connected to sport, but I would say there's lots of application to sport from it, is a book called Presence by an author called Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. And she talks a lot about just our, our body positioning and what a difference that can make to confidence when we go into any situation. So that would include sport. As for videos that people could watch, on Netflix, I recently watched a great little series, I believe it's called The Playbook, and that's just a number of coaches talking about the work that they've done with athletes, and you get to see how how different coaching approaches can be, and really gets you thinking, I think, about that mental side. And then I, again, just like in the beginning, when we talked about the the weight of gold, that I would say, I if I was a parent, I might consider watching it first before I would watch it with my younger athletes because I think a parent will have a better sense of whether that would be something appropriate for their kid to watch or not. Yeah, and that's probably just a good disclaimer. As a former teacher myself, that's probably just a good disclaimer in general. If you're going to show a video or something, maybe try to vet it before just to on what you think your child can emotionally handle as just because your child's a certain age doesn't mean that they can or can't handle it. It's more related to like emotional maturity as well. And so last question here of this segment, we haven't talked too much about your time as an athlete, but I just wanted to, to kind of give a quick question to that. In terms of your time as an athlete, what were some things that you did specifically to really help with your performance? Maybe give some secret Sarah tips here that the audience could maybe learn from. My secret Sarah tips are more along the faith line of things. Is that okay? I know that we're probably heading into that next. We'll, we'll segue right there right now. So that works. <laughs> okay. So years ago, I did a lot of triathlons and really loved the sport and ended up training for the Ironman triathlon, which is a, a very long triathlon that took me over 13 hours that day. And I knew that in order to perform well that day, I was going to need to train like I wanted to perform. And for me, faith is such a strong part of who I am. It's hard to separate faith from anything that I do in life. And so that ended up being just a, a large part of my, of my training and my performing. So for me, when I was cycling is really prayer for me. It's just, I don't know quite how to articulate it any better than that. I love cycling so much. I get to be out in nature and just see beautiful trees and skies and and wildlife. And so it's it's truly prayer. And so it doesn't when I'm cycling I didn't need to do a lot other than to just be kind of thankful that I got to be out there training. But knowing that I had a long long day ahead of me for Ironman, I taped a mustard seed <laughs> to my bicycle. And so some people listening might know why I did that. And for other people, they probably would have no idea whatsoever. 
But there's a Bible verse that says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So I wasn't using that mustard seed like it was magic, not at all. But what it what it did was help me to focus on what's possible, right? And to really remember all the training that I had done for that day and to just remember, focus on what's positive, focus on what's possible. And it ended up being a really great day. I also, I will say this. So for Ironman, I set both a quantitative goal and a qualitative goal. And that can be really important with goal setting for lots of athletes. And for me, the, the quantitative was to finish the race in a certain period of time. Well, actually it was A to finish, <laughs> B to finish in a, in a certain period of time. But C, I also set a qualitative goal for myself. So I wanted to help someone along the way. So it was just an opportunity to have my mind somewhere other than the pain, because when you're doing long distance triathlon, it gets, it gets pretty painful near the end of the race. But I was just looking at who, who is suffering more than I am. Who's really struggling? Who can I run alongside for a little while and encourage even when I'm struggling? And so I found that that was just enough to have a focus that wasn't just about me. And then that made the day much, much better for me. So that's my involvement with triathlon anyway. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that and talking about how your faith uh, is important to that. And something you touched on that was really interesting is the idea of cycling being prayer. I know for those listening in the audience who run as well, that's something that can also be a, an act of worship to God. And just would you say that certain sports and, and disciplines lend itself more to that aspect just because it's so repetitive and you can get kind of in a repetitive state where you can just like for running, for example, I run. And it's easy just to go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, and then you can really have your thoughts kind of be known and, and then be able to pray through that as well, right? Yeah, that's probably true. And just as you said that, I was thinking that a lot of the sports that I participated in were more individual, more time in my head. And so that probably lends to being able to be in a space of prayer, right? So even swimming, right? You're not you're not talking to anyone. <laughs> you're swimming. You're you're focusing on your on your stroke. But even in the swim too, I had a phrase that I would say to my myself, and it was just effortlessly swimming. Jesus is my savior. That's all that I thought of through the that whole lengthy swim. And so yeah, I think I I agree with you. It's probably harder in some sports to be prayerful but that that being said I don't know because I think in some ways it's so individual and maybe maybe someone would say that a sport that we wouldn't think you could be prayerful in you actually can I don't know do you have a sport coming to mind that you think it would be hard to be prayerful no not particularly because as someone who's also come from a team sport background playing ultimate at a couple national championships I know that just seeing my time as an ultimate player as worship, so be it the way I interact with my teammates, be it the way that I interact with my opponents, be it the way I feel when I come off the field after a point and just sweating and feeling like, uh, you know, as you mentioned, very tired, just seeing that as an act of worship to God, I think 
maybe not specifically when I'm playing, which is what I would say is a little bit different. I probably am not thinking, oh, I'm worshiping God as I'm about to throw a, a, a flick in ultimate. But definitely when I come off the field and I have those moments of silence to myself, which I think every sport's going to have its unique challenges with that. I just think that certain individual sports can lend itself easier, but it's not to say that any sport could not have opportunities to kind of be in prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, now that you say that, it would be interesting to talk to... I don't know. Like, what about an MMA fighter? Is it possible? Right. And, and maybe you're right that maybe not during, because I think you're so, you'd be so focused on the actual fight, but perhaps before and after, and maybe just overall, it just seems like a place of prayer for them. I don't know. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there are some videos of Tim Tebow who some might know in the audience, a famous or was a famous football player. And there be videos that NFL uh, had done which show him like just singing worship songs while on the sidelines while his defense is playing. He's like singing Our God is a Great God or, or different songs as well. So it's kind of cool. You can see that in different ways. And in terms of now that we've talked about your time as an athlete, in terms of your mental performance side, I'm just going to assume that not all your athletes of a faith background or any faith background. So how does your faith in in Jesus play out in terms of what you do because obviously you're not going to be overtly sharing your faith unless probably prompted so what does it look like to kind of worship and and be in prayer while you're counseling and helping others that's a great question i think it's an important question i will say and i actually say this on my website that i only bring faith into counseling sessions or mental performance sessions if an athlete or an individual identifies that that would be helpful. So we start there. So you're right. I do not force it. I will say that I pray for all my clients. I pray for them quite regularly, actually, that they would be able to have strength for for what they're going through because I, I probably have a better sense of that than a lot of people in their lives. And when I go into sessions with people, I'm prayerful during and in advance of them as well. So I ask God to guide me in the sessions with people because I think that always God knows what this person needs more than I. And I also ask God to work in me and through me. And so I don't ever think that that, well, not not that it doesn't ever, but it doesn't have to be exclusively explicit, right? I think that that God can work through so many of us and, and we don't always have to be, I think you use the word overt about it. Yeah, and, and sometimes we think, and, and that's why we talk about this on the podcast, is that faith in sport can, and faith in life in general can intersect. And if Jesus is your center, it's going to be, he's going to be your center, regardless if you're grocery shopping, if you're counseling someone, if you're listening to music or whatever that looks like. So I think one of the things that, that we try to convey is the idea that it's all integrated. It's not just these separate things. And you're kind of bringing that up as well. Absolutely. And also, I was just thinking too, that for some people, I absolutely would not want to bring up faith because for some people, faith has been wounding, right? And so I think someone might want to eventually talk about that 
and bring that into a counseling session, but it would actually be not helpful for me to push it that way. Yeah, that's a good point, Sarah, because if you're getting to know your clients at an emotional and kind of holistic level, you want to know where they're at, even just in aspects of spirituality and faith, because they could be really far on the other end of the spectrum. And you don't want to kind of stir that up when there are other things potentially that you could help with as well. Absolutely. So in terms of all that you've said there, I appreciate you just sharing about how your faith can intersect with everything that you're doing and how it's not necessarily uh, things that are that are exclusive and that you're able to bring that into your to your practice as well. And so, Sarah, with all that being said, we appreciate you coming in. Are there any other lasting words that you want to uh, share with the audience? Any other lasting thoughts that you had based on our conversation? We've learned a lot today about what you do and some practical tips that people can take in with them and also some resources they can look at. So do you have any other uh, lasting words there, Sarah, as we uh, sign off here? I would just say that whatever an athlete is struggling with, if you're listening right now and you're having a hard time with something sport related, or you're having a tough time with something mental health related, you're not alone. You are absolutely not alone. Lots of the time, it can seem like you are because um, just like Theo and I talked about earlier, sometimes stigma gets in the way, but you really aren't. And I would say it can take some some courage and some vulnerability to reach out for support, whether it's reaching out to someone at school or reaching out to a parent or a coach. But I would say if you're hesitating, please don't. It can be a game changer to start to work with someone and to recognize that, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as just the way you're thinking or what you're focusing on that's getting in the way and how we can just even tweak that slightly. And then it can just make the difference. Like if you're going into something and thinking I'm terrible at this, I'm the worst, I'm the slowest, it's not going to be motivating but if you if you switch it and say to yourself, I'm working on this skill, I'm learning this skill, I'm in the weight room so that I'm stronger when I'm out on the field, things that you can focus on that are just, they can just make such a difference. And I think so too, for the mental health side, I think sometimes we can, if we're going through something difficult, we can really get in our heads and think that it's not going to get better, but it absolutely can it can be helpful to even start to talk to someone and really be heard and know that you've been heard. That can make a difference. And then I think it can really be helpful to know that there are all sorts of skills, mental skills that you can learn that can be helpful for your mental health in life and in sport. Yeah, because it's easy for us to think of, a thought just came to my head with that. Uh, With training, we often think, we train certain skills in sports, but the mind is something that we can also train and, and get better as well. And related to that, with the adults that you trust and the parents in your life that, that you trust or coaches or whoever, that's also an encouragement to them today as well to be really willing to listen and to really just have no sort of, I guess I'll use the word judgment or just like just hear them out and, and kind of just be there for them, right? That's probably an encouragement to them today as well, right? Absolutely. And in turn, I would also say, if you're a parent who could use some support, if you're a coach who could use some support, don't hesitate either. 
You're right, because it's easy for coaches to think that I'm I'm kind of coaching on an island. I need to put up a front for my players, and I can't struggle with anything. I'm kind of their superhero, but oftentimes that's not the case as well. Yeah, I think that being a coach can be such a complex task. I mean, really, you're called coach, but you've got multiple roles. And I think also if you're a, a coach to a team, which most are, you have to know how to communicate to each athlete and you need to you know need to know what motivates each athlete there's there's a there's a lot there yeah there's a lot there that we won't be able to to talk about in the time that we have there sarah and uh so that's a such a nuanced topic that there's definitely a lot of discovery to be had so sarah thanks for coming on the show today we've learned a lot and you've had some great words of wisdom do appreciate that and how god is using you in the the field that he's uh placed you in and so with that if someone in the audience wants to learn more about what you do, maybe even talk to you a bit more at a clinical level or professional level there, uh, where can they reach you and find you online? So I do have a website that's McGrathMcKinley.com. My company's actually called McGrath McKinley Counseling. We sound a little more like an Irish law firm, but <laughs> that's who we are. And uh, you can always reach out and call me as well. That's at 226-268-3320. Email too. Did you want that? Yep. I'm, I'm sure your email's on the website though. Is that correct? Or It is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll make sure to leave that in the show description. So if you want to check that out, you can feel free to do so. And I'll also leave the books and Netflix videos that Sarah recommended as well. So you can check all that stuff out to help you on your journey towards better mental health, perhaps an increased uh, sense of God's presence or, or faith as well, if that's something you decide to, to embark on with Sarah or with somebody else. And yeah, we just learned a lot today. So Sarah, thank you for coming in virtually, of course. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Our next episode features Brad Ravel, a golfer who played for North Carolina State University and professionally in Canada. During the interview, Brad shares about his experiences playing in college and professionally, as well as how he discovered his faith in university. If you want to connect with Onside Athletics, you can find us at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. May we continue to glorify God in everything we do. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a blessed week.